is Carl Zinsmeister with Sweet Charity, a series of stories about how private giving solves public problems, adapted from the Philanthropy Roundtable's Almanac of American Philanthropy. This month, I spent a good deal of time observing, thinking, and talking about how arts philanthropy works. Creating beautiful works of music, literature, theater, and such is not a small matter. Humans need these things to help make sense of their world, to keep their spirits strong, to refresh and re-energize themselves to take on the hard work of daily life. I was invited up to a New Hampshire retreat to talk to the board of directors of the foundation of the Dramatist Guild. This foundation takes care of the men and women who create America's plays and musicals. It supports nonprofit playhouses all across the country, and it educates children and adults about the theater. We talked about the private giving that is so important in keeping the arts alive. Today, 45% of the budgets of our arts nonprofits comes from donors. Most of the rest comes from selling tickets. The percentage of total arts funding nationwide that comes from government is very small, in single digits. We talked about the merits of raising arts support from large givers versus lots of small givers. We brainstormed about the best ways to justify arts funding and how to respond to charges that giving money for theaters or symphonies might be elitist. You know, we aren't curing cancer or saving the lives of children in Africa, noted the board members. So how do we ask people for gifts when they could be donating to those causes instead? I pointed out that Americans can and do support both kinds of good works, and that there is no reason to pit them against each other, as if one steals from the other. Helping the poor, educating the young, healing the sick, these are deep charitable drives. But inspiring the human spirit through performances, literature, religious practice, art and architecture, these are also vital social contributions, and they overlap. Who says the poor don't need music and beauty and faith as much as the rich, perhaps even more? I suggested the board members look up a powerful speech delivered a few years ago by pianist Carl Polnack. He notes that in the days after the 9-11 attacks, one of the first ways New Yorkers began to grieve and rally and heal was through music, singing God Bless America together, or flocking to public performances of something beautiful. Polnack points out that moving music and art has been created right in the midst of concentration camps, where inmates barely had enough food or heat or other sustenance to keep alive. Oliver Messian wrote his most famous musical quartet while a Nazi prisoner in 1940, then played it with three other prisoners using improvised instruments to a crowd of 4,000 weeping, cheering inmates who latched onto the music to make themselves feel more human. You might imagine that a frill like art would be the first thing to go when a person is under that kind of pressure. But no, art is often the last thing that suffering people let go of. Songs and prayers, plays and poems, worship services and hymns are sometimes what keep people alive when everything else has crashed down. Next week, I'll continue this story and offer some real-life examples of how donors to the arts can sweep us into wonderful places. For Sweet Charity, this has been Carl Zinsmeister. And for more tales from the Almanac of American Philanthropy, find the book at Amazon in either the authoritative full-length version or our convenient new compact edition updated to 2017.